Are you ready for God's word today? Are you? I'm so excited about the message today for a lot of reasons. Uh, so let's just let's dive in together. So if you want to turn with me to John chapter 16, last week we started a series called Holy Spirit, and I just felt really led by the Holy Spirit to talk to you about the Holy Spirit, and 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 I love it when I I love feedback. I love you know most all feedback. Positive feedback is much more exciting. Um, <laughs> How many agree? You know what I'm saying, right? And so, but I, um, one of the, one of the uh, serve team for Super Summer Nights, uh, a lady in our church, um, stopped me one night. Uh, I was just here hanging out, and uh, she said, "Hey, could, I just want to tell you, I so much appreciated. I'm appreciate. I'm so glad about the series. I really appreciated this." Uh, week's message. She said it meant a lot to me and what, what she said. And, and she said, I was raised in a particular denomination. It's a wonderful denomination. I'm not saying anything bad about that denomination. No, I'm not going to tell you which denomination because I don't want you to think bad of any denomination. Um, but she said, I was raised in a particular denomination. And she said, we, we knew there was a Holy Spirit. At least we were told there was a Holy Spirit. Um, but she said, I really never knew anything about the Holy Spirit. And she said, that message was so helpful um, because she said it helped me understand some things about the Holy Spirit. So I just want to encourage you, if you miss week one, uh, if you will go back um, uh, one week on Spotify, the app, website, YouTube, however you do it, um, but it might be helpful. And that was really what I felt like from God that I wanted to do was, in, and I know we're in summer and people are in and out, so if you miss a message, thank God for technology and all that. But I don't want you to miss because my heart is that I want to do some teaching and I want you to understand some things clearly as best I can. And so, and I really feel like we need to understand the, the Holy Spirit as best we can. Does that make sense? And we're going to get into some fun topics later on in this series, but I am so excited about today's topic. So if you're in John chapter 16, this is Jesus. So we know John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, this is all the upper room conversation that Jesus having with his disciples. We know John 13 is where he washed his disciples' feet. And then John 14, 15, and 16, it has a lot of parallel verses as Jesus is really trying to get them to understand some things because we know he's going to be arrested that, that night, later that night. So they're in the upper room. You know, they have washing the feet and take the Lord's Supper, and then they end up going to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then that's where he's later arrested. And so uh, John 16, it says, But now I am going to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Now, I want you to understand what Jesus just said. A couple of things. And, and I talked a little bit about it last week. But he said, it's actually better that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then, then the Holy Spirit, the advocate, so this would be the Holy Spirit, uh, it could be the counselor, the teacher, um, the comforter, uh, the helper. That's what that word advocate means. He said, but, but you need, here's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to leave because you need something other than me. Now, I want you to hear what I just said, because that's what Jesus just said. He said, I'm going to leave because there is someone else you need right now. And it's actually better that you would have him than have me right now. Are you with me? He said, if I don't go away, then I can't send in verse eight. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness 
and of the coming judgment. I don't really have time to teach this, but it's a great teaching that the conviction of the Holy Spirit for an unbeliever, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is more to tell you that you are a sinner. For a believer, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is more to remind you that you've been made righteous. So, so the unbeliever, he says, hey, you're lost. But to the believer, even when we mess up, he says, hey, remember, you're found. In fact, Paul, remember, remember the church of Corinth, they had some problems, they had some sex problems, and, and he goes on this dissertation about sexual immorality, and then at the end of that is where we get the famous verse, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? In other words, he is, he is reminding them that they've been made righteous, that they're the righteousness of God. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Like when we mess up, when we sin, when we make a mistake, he doesn't show up and tell us we're a bad person. He shows up and calls us to be who, he, who God has redeemed us to be. He said, hey, let me remind you, you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. You've been made right with God. In other words, walk in righteousness. This is what Titus said, the grace of God that's appeared to all men teaches us to walk righteously. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us to walk righteously. So anyways, coming to the world's sin, coming judgment. The world's sin, because it refuses to believe me, verse 10, righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world is already judged. Verse 12, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Man, there's a lot in that. And we're going to talk about some of it today. I call this message never lost never lost. Um, can we pray together? God, thank you so much for this time, for this moment, for your presence, for the Holy Spirit, who not only do we have, not only is he in this room, but he is in us. And God, we are so grateful. And so Lord, right now, we want to lean in and hear from you. And we want the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to guide us, just like we just read, to guide us into truth today. God, we want to hear from you. So God, we, we just choose God right now to focus in, to lean in. And God, I just ask that you'd speak to every person, God, what they need to hear from you today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Um, anybody ever gone on a tour? Like where you have a guide? Have you ever had a guide before? Like maybe you go hunting, you have a guide. Um, so I'm a scuba diver. I have a scuba diving certification. And uh, I like water. I like going down, looking at the fish really close. I mean, you can snorkel, but I nearly drown with the snorkel. Um, I can scuba dive fine, but you give me a snorkel, I'm going to drown. I don't know why that is. It's supposed to be easier, but the waves get in there. And I don't know. Has anybody ever had that experience? Some of you are looking at me like you just thought. How many are just going to not participate no matter what I say today? You're just going <laughs> to stare at me very strangely the whole time. <laughs> And uh, so years ago, um, a lot of times I'd be on vacation, and, and so I'd, on vacation, I'd love to go scuba diving. So on a particular vacation, I decided I want to go scuba diving. If you understand about scuba diving, uh, because it's a, like, you know, 33, every 33 feet is an atmosphere of pressure, essentially. Um, and so um, with that, you can't, 
when you're diving, you have to coordinate it with your flying because you have to have a, a minimum 24-hour window between a dive and a flight. Does that make sense? Uh, and that's so because your body has to equalize to the pressure again before you take off and, you know, you don't want to rupture an eardrum or something like that. And so I had one day that I could go diving. It was in Mexico. And, um, and so on that day, I show up 6 a.m. I'm ready to go diving, but it's kind of stormy and the, the, the ocean's churning and they're like, hey, I don't think we're going to be able to dive. It's just the current's too rough today. And, um, and I said, man, that, that really stinks. I wish I could go. And how many know sometimes in a third world country like that, rules are more like guidelines? Have you ever had that experience? Like it's a rule in some places, but here it's just kind of a suggestion well, technically, you're supposed to have a certification if you want to cave dive, but I didn't have a cave diving certification, but they didn't want to lose money. I wanted to dive. I was young and stupid, and, and so now I have more wisdom, right, you know, and, um, you know, used to, I'm like, hey, jumping out of an airplane would be really cool to go parachuting. That'd be really cool. Nowadays, it's like, why would you jump out of a good airplane? You know, it's, it's different. You know, I don't know what changes wisdom. I don't know. Anyways, but I, I uh, decided that, you know what? It'd be so much fun to go cave diving because I've never gone cave diving before. And so off we went to the caves. Now, in cave diving in the place we went had a pool. You'd walk down, found the, the kind of the mouth of this pool. You, you dove in and then it had these caverns that were fully submerged. And you would swim through these caverns and then come up in other pools like, like this. At least this is how it was explained to me what it's supposed to work. And, um, and so I'd been diving, you know, before I didn't think a lot about it. And, you know, when you're diving, there's sand on the bottom and there's not sand on the top. Thus, your brain knows if there's sand, that's the bottom. If there's no sand, that's the top. When you get into a dark cave that's fully submerged with stalactite and stalagmite sticking up and down, all of a sudden your brain is not sure which way is up and which way it's down. And then it goes psycho Billy Ninja in your head. <laughs> and it freaks out. And I remember, you know, I, I, I was following the guide because obviously I did not know the way. I mean, there's all these caverns and you're fully submerged, you know, or submerged. I mean, you're under, you know, we're 30, 40 feet down in a cave. You know what I'm saying? Sounds fun, doesn't it? Anybody want to try this? Anybody wondering why I was dumb enough to try this, right? Um, it's testosterone and it is scientifically proven it does damage our brains as men. When we receive testosterone, it damages our brains. And uh, so anyways, um, so we're diving and you have a flashlight because it's completely dark. And all of a sudden, my brain, you know, went, you know, and everything just starts spinning. And I'm like, well, this can't be good. And I am so dizzy. And then all of a sudden, my field of view was like this. And then it's spinning and it's getting smaller. And my thought was, this is the day I meet Jesus. I know now which day it is. Like, this is going to be the day because it's getting dark and everything's spinning. And I am like, I have no idea which way to go, which way is up, which way is down. Luckily for me, my guide had a bright yellow oxygen tank. And when my field of, of view really became like a straw, all I could see was that yellow tank. And I thought, if I will just stay fixated on, focused on that yellow tank. This guide knows the way out and I don't know the way. I am like 
in a mess. But if I can stay focused, if I can follow the guide, he will. And that's all I did. And all I did, I just remember yellow tank, yellow tank, yellow tank, yellow tank, yellow tank. I mean, it's like a scene from Finding Nemo with Dory. You understand what I'm saying? It's like yellow tank, yellow tank. You know, it was terrible. And eventually, sure enough, that yellow tank brought me to a pool. We came up. I resigned. I said, you know, I'm going to walk from here. I think I'm good. <laughs> I've had enough. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Never been cave diving since. But as I was reading John 16, you're like, what does that do? And I read this, he will guide us into all truth. And I read that and I thought the Holy Spirit is the guide with the yellow tank. And we live in a world that is spinning out of control and it's sometimes hard to tell which way is up and which way is down. And sometimes it looks really dark and really bleak. But I can tell you in the darkest of night, in, in the most critical of circumstances, when everything is confusing, if you'll stop, I promise you the guide, the Holy Spirit, the guide with the yellow tank is somewhere around. And if you can just follow him, he will lead you out. You don't have to be lost. You don't have to be lost in a cave in Mexico. You can follow the guide. And so I want to talk about Three things today in how he leads us, how he guides us, how we follow him. So number one, very simple points. Very simple message, by the way. But number one is he guides. Just simply. You need to know that the Holy Spirit is your guide. He, he is the guide with the yellow tank. He, he guides. And, and here's what Jesus said. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Here's what you need to understand. He's a guide and he knows the way. When you don't know the way, you have a guide who knows the way. It's very simple, but I want you to think about so many situations in our lives when, when maybe we don't know the right financial decision to make. Maybe we don't know the right career path to take. Maybe we're struggling in a relationship. We need some help. Maybe it's in a marriage, a different kind of relationship, help with kids or parents or whatever the case may be. And, and, and so many times, our, it's truth. So many times, isn't it true that we're like, you know, I'm just not sure which way to go. I'm just not sure what to do here. But I want you to understand when you're not sure, he always is. When you don't know, he always knows. He will guide you into all truth. Now, I want to think about this just, that's, that's very practically, but what about culturally? Because I don't know if you know this, but just trying to figure out what truth is in our culture seems to be a challenge. Anybody else feel this lately? Like, what, what is the truth? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, truth in our culture, it's I mean, it is, it is malleable. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, truth can be whatever I want truth to be, apparently. But I want you to know something. I need you to understand that by de- not even biblically speaking, by definition, truth is absolute. By definition, truth is exclusive, not inclusive. Because what truth says is this is truth and that is not. That's what truth says. And and when you know truth, you know what isn't truth. Does this make sense to everybody? Because I want you to think about, we live in a culture where everybody's saying, well, this is the truth or that is the truth or I have my own truth. Right? Um, We live in a day of relativism where, where people will, you know, essentially what they're saying is 
truth is relative or there is relative truth. Now, I want you to understand that if you hear the phrase relative truth, that is one of the greatest oxymorons that could exist. The reason is truth by definition has to be absolute. So, so the idea of relative truth is, is affirming an absolute while denying an absolute exists. Right? It's truth. It's relative truth. Wait a second. Is it relative or is it truth? Yes. Can't be both. You can't actually say yes to that because you can't say there's an absolute and at the same and in the same phrase say there are no absolutes. So when people say, listen, when they say, well, this is truth to me. No, no, it's not truth to you. It's just what you want to do. Like this is where we need to grow up buttercup and just take responsibility for our life and say, this is just how I want to live. I don't care if it's true or not. I never get, I had a, a man uh, in one of the churches that I served and the statement he made was, I know what the word of God says, but that's not what I'm going to do. I'm like, well, at least you're being honest. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people just lie to us, but you're actually telling us, no, I'm not going to do what God's word says. And so I want you to understand this about truth. We live in this day of relativism, relativism, which is an oxymoron because it, 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 it infers there's an absolute and says there's not an absolute. And, and, and so we live in this day where everybody says, well, you know, think about this, the religions of the world, we have people that it's like they affirm all the, think about what it is with a culture that affirms all the religions of the world. Think about this. Because all the religions of the world are exclusive because they all say we're the truth. Well, you can't have them all be the truth. That's impossible. Hinduism and Buddhism can't both be right. Right? Islam and Christianity can't both be right. But yet we live in a culture. No, no, they're all true. They're all just different paths of God. Although none of them say that you can have multiple paths to God. So we live in a day, listen to me, we live in a day where truth has become convoluted, where we live in a perpetual gray area of sunshine and rainbows that we just make up on our own. And it is easy to get lost when there is no navigational beacon, when there is, when there is no way to tell what is true and everybody has their own truth and everything is relative. It is easy to be lost. L listen, let me tell you something else. If truth is absolute, morality is absolute. Which the reason we want relative truth is because ultimately we want relative morality. That you understand every argument is taking you somewhere. And the reason, listen, the reason people will argue that all truth is relative is because they want all morality. I want to do what I want to do. But I want you to understand, you need to understand something that, that in our world, if I were to ask you and I'm going to, but if we were to ask anyone, does evil exist? The answer is, yeah, evil exists. Okay, here's the next question. Okay, are people born bad or do they become bad? The truth is it doesn't matter because both are proof that evil exists. There is a force of evil. It's the only way you could have bad people, whether they're born bad or whether they become bad. Okay, track with me. I'm going somewhere, okay? I know you're like, oh, Lord, what are we talking about? Just hang with me. So if there's evil... There has to be good, right? If there is evil and good, you have to have a way to differentiate between evil and good, meaning you have to have a moral law. If people are either born evil or become evil, they are no longer an adequate source for moral law. 
meaning if there's evil, there's good. If there's good and evil, there's a moral law. If people can be evil, they can't be the, the, the lawgiver. So there has to be a lawgiver that gives us a law to distinguish between good and evil because evil is present. Are you with me? And if there's a lawgiver and there's a law, then morality isn't relative. And morality isn't relative, then truth isn't relative. So the reality in our culture is we want relative morality, so we claim there's relative truth, and then we deny the lawgiver and say that we're all going to be our own moral guides, and that works until somebody does something that we don't like. And, and, and apparently, I'm just saying, seems to me, Jesus knew this was going to be a thing. Because Jesus is like, you know what you guys are going to need? Like, I'm looking forward a few thousand years, and all of a sudden, truth is going to be up for debate on what is truth and what isn't, and morality is going to be up for debate, and no one's going to want to believe that there is absolute truth anymore. So I want you to understand, I'm going to go away and send you someone who will guide you into all truth so that you don't have to wonder or question. I'm not going to give you laws that are written on stones. I'm going to send someone and they're going to write truth on the tablet of the flesh of your heart so you can know what truth is. I want you to understand the Holy Spirit was given because God knew in the culture in which we live, it would be hard to figure out what truth is. So he said, I'll send you a spirit who is truth, who will write on your heart the truth. You can know the truth. I think the problem is sometimes we're in that movie, A Few Good Men. We can know the truth. We just can't handle the truth. Remember Jack Nicholson? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> we live in a day where truth is incredibly offensive. Because we can't handle truth. It upsets our unicorns and our rainbows. But I want you to know what, 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 what a promise how powerful is this that Jesus says, I'm going to go away. It's better to go away because all of you, all of you, not just few, all of you are going to need a guide because truth is going to get so convoluted. You can't even figure it out on your own anymore, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who knows not some truth, all truth, and he can write truth on your heart. He will guide you into truth. Here's another way. I don't know if you, under, if you ever thought about this. He guides you into truth, which is also to say the truth for you. Not the truth is relative. The truth is same. But if you want to be led into truth, he will lead you into the truth. And he will lead you into the will of God for your life, which is based on truth. Like one of the greatest questions I get is, is how can I know the will of God for my life? Well, I can tell you how you can know the will of God for your life. Get ready. Write it down. I'm, I'm giving out all the secrets today. First of all, you need to understand there's the specific will of God and the general will of God. So there's the general will of God for your life and the specific will of God for your life. If you want to know the general will of God for your life, it's in the Bible. The Bible starts out by saying it's God's will that you be saved. I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God's general will for your life is that you come to repentance and accept him as Lord and Savior and follow him. Right? If you want to know God's general will, God has a purpose for your life, and that purpose is to bring glory to Him. That's very it's general will of God, it's bring glory to Him. If you want to know God's general will of your life, you know, like, like 
if you want to know, I think the Bible, if you think about it, like the Bible tells you, first of all, it tells you what a marriage is, tells you what a marriage isn't. Like, because we live, listen, we live in a culture we don't know anymore. And it's because we've let everybody's truth be their own truth. In fact, I, I don't, man, I really have to be careful because I don't want to offend anybody. But, but the Bible kind of settles how many genders there are. Don't shoot me. I didn't write the book. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, we're, we're trying to figure out, is it 73 genders? Is it 79 genders? I'm just saying, according to the Bible, and God made them male and female. We, we have elected officials, you understand, who cannot tell us what a woman is. And I'm, listen, I'm not throwing shade. I'm not trying to be political. If you're going to get offended, if you're going to get offended, you're probably going to get offended. You're probably already offended. I can't help you. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I love you, but I'm just saying, we, li- we need to talk about the world in which we live. And, and I'm sitting here, and when we have someone that's about to be on the Supreme Court, and they tell us they can't tell us what a woman is because they're not a biologist, I'm concerned. I'm like, I don't want you voting on anything. And I'm not even trying. I, listen, I understand there's, we live in a day of gender dysphoria. I understand we live in a day of a lot of gender issues. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. It's going to be so much fun today. But I, I'm just saying we live in a day where we, we, don't, we don't know. But if we want to know the specific will of God for our life, we can, we can look at the Bible. It tells us it tells us. It sells gender issue. It tells us what a marriage is for this, this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. So it will tell us, it, it tells us general things about a purpose. It tell you, it'll tell you general things about how to manage money. It won't tell you, though, the specific things. Like it doesn't, it will tell you how to do marriage. It won't tell you who to marry. It, it will tell you you have a purpose, but it doesn't always say exactly, like it doesn't give you an outline of all the steps you take to get to your purpose. I mean, it does in a way, but like the Bible tells me I had purpose. The Bible didn't tell me I was going to be a pastor. That was specific. That was something the Holy Spirit had to lead me into, that I had to feel the calling God on my life, right? Does this make sense? The Bible tells me how to manage money, but it doesn't tell me which career path to take. It doesn't tell me which job to take, right? So the Bible tells me some, some very general things that, that it can tell me the, the will of God for my life, generally speaking. But if I want to know the specific will of God for my life, I need the Holy Spirit. I need the guide. I need him to guide me into purpose. I, I need him to help me to understand which relationship is from him and which isn't. And, 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 and I need him to, to teach me the things that I need to know. The way that, Is this making sense to everybody? And so here's the great thing is what Jesus is saying. You have a guide who leads you into all truth. And you have a guide who knows the will of God. Let me give you a, a scripture for this. Romans 8, 27. It says, and he who searches the heart's and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Look at this. According to the will of God. Here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit knows the specific will of God for your life. And if you will follow him, he can only lead you in God's will for your life. He, he guides. You can know the truth. And you can know God's will for your life. So he guides, here's the second thing. Here's the second thing, write this down. He identifies. He identifies. I think this may be the the message, this point. (laughs) I hope I don't offend anyone, but I'm going to help you. Because I got this morning, like, God, I just want to help people. 
And I'm so excited about the message because I want you to understand we live in a culture that is reeling with identity issues. We, we have a culture that's in identity crisis. Right. Um, we have a culture where everybody will identify. I heard the other day and, and again, not trying to offend anyone at all, but but there is a a identification thing in, in that exists where we actually have people identifying as certain animals now. Like I identify as a cat. And I'm not, we shouldn't, listen, let's not make fun. I'm, this, this, these are not the jokes, unfortunately. These are not the jokes. And, and I'm just sitting here, I was, someone on our staff was telling me this, and I'm just sitting here appalled. Like I'm totally lost because I'm like, do they not have a parent to explain to them? You know, do they not have a, like, how did we get to the place where it's just however I want to identify, just that's, and, and what I realized is that we have in our culture, okay, I'm going to walk very lightly on some very sensitive subjects. Are you okay with that? Because somebody needs to tell the truth. If you go back 30, 40 years ago, we didn't have as many of the gender issues or even mental health issues that we have today. Now, let me please hear my disclaimer. I'm not saying they didn't exist, and I'm not saying that mental health issues aren't real. I think I did a whole series on it um, You can called Mind Control. You can go back and hear at least a lot more about what I think about that, and I even shared some things that I deal with. So I'm definitely not saying that mental health issues don't exist. I'm not saying we shouldn't have doctors for them. I'm not saying you shouldn't take medication for them, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I want you to, so I need to say that so you don't get offended, so you understand, because I want to show you something. Does this make sense? So 30 years ago, it, it, it's not that they didn't exist. It's that it wasn't popular to have them. 30 years ago, it wasn't that people didn't struggle maybe with gender identity issues, gender dysphoria, whatever the case may be. It's what it, it is that it wasn't popular to identify certain ways. Now what we have in our culture is we praise and celebrate identity crisis and we praise and celebrate like you're not unique unless you have a gender issue a mental health disorder, and several other things. I'm not saying, again, refer to what I said, please don't worry. I'm not saying they don't exist at all, in no way. Nor am I saying if you have one of those issues, you shouldn't seek help or medical treatment at all. I'm wanting you to see what culture has done. Culture has made it abnormal to not have one of these issues. And I also want to show you the hypocrisy of our culture. Okay, so again, here's another sensitive issue, and then I promise we'll move on. Are y'all still breathing? <laughs> I'm absolutely against and horrified as you are and heartbroken by all the shootings, okay? So where is my heart? I think it's devastating, horrendous. I prayed for the families. I prayed for the people involved. I think it's terrible, right? Um. So I want you to hear that first and foremost. And I certainly don't want to make light of the pain and loss that these families are feeling. I, I want to talk to our culture, about our culture, so you see what's going on. Okay? Does that make sense? Everybody still with me? Um, the obvious thing that I want to say is that 
you can't impose more laws on law-abiding people and expect that to change people who disregard laws. I'm not saying something shouldn't be done. I'm saying this is the obvious. But, but what really, I'm going to put two things together because they were both in the media in about the same time frame. We have people in our country, and I'm not saying they're enemies. I'm just saying people in our country. And they just made a statement that certain, certain types of firearms should not be able to be purchased by people who are less than 25 or 21 years old because those people are not mature enough to purchase those firearms. Okay? I'm not saying I disagree or agree. I'm just saying that's what they said. The same group of people that said that you're not mature enough to, to, to purchase certain types of firearms until you're 21 or 25 said that at five years old, a child is mature enough to choose their gender. I didn't say either one of those things. I'm just letting them testify against themselves. Are you with me? I, I'm, I'm just saying we live in a culture. Now, here's the question. Who's behind it and why? The devil's always behind it. Because if Satan can label you, he can limit you. And if he can label you at five years old with gender dysphoria, he'll limit you. And if he can label you at nine years old with a mental health disorder, he can limit you. I'm not saying they don't exist for nine-year-olds. I'm saying we live in a culture that praises and has it made it popular. And now you can be unique and you're not unique unless you have a gender issue or unless you have a mental health disorder or have one of these other issues. And we need to understand that we're allowing culture to identify We are now getting our identity from the affirmation of the culture around us and not from the God who made us. Are, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? Because the way we're finding our identity, the way we're identifying is through our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions. So we live in a culture that says, well, if you desire it, it can't be wrong. Okay, let me help you with something. If I did everything I desired to do, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be in prison. Some of you'd be my cellmates. So just the argument that if, if I desire it, meaning my will, then I, that's who I am or that's what I want. Or if I think it with my mind, that's what I am or that's what I want. Or if I feel it with my emotions, that must be real and that must be what I want. How many know what it's like to be hooked on a feeling and find out it was the wrong one? So I'm just saying, we, we are identifying ourselves by our flesh, by our souls. And this is Romans 8 says a few things. It says, if you live by the flesh, you'll die. But if you live a life controlled by the Spirit, you'll experience life and peace. I want you to think about what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 8. He's like, hey, if you want to identify, if you want to live by what you think and what you feel, and what you want, it's going to culminate in death. But if you will follow the guide, the Holy Spirit, it will end in life and peace. And I don't know if you know this, but we talked about how he guides us into truth and he leads us into the will of God for our lives. But do you know the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he guides you into identity? Romans 8, 
Verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage or slavery again unto fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that you're sons and daughters of God. Here, here's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He comes to tell you who you are. In a world that is trying to tell you who you are and they are confusing and conflicted and you've got all these sources saying this is popular, be this. Well, if you feel this, you must have this. Or if you thought this, you must be this. Or if you feel or experience or desire this, you got it. And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. I have come. And the first thing I do is I enter into your life and I say, he's your father. And once you know who your father is, you can learn who you are. Like the first place he leads us is in the adoption as sons and daughters of God. I want you to think about this, but when Adam, when Adam, when God created Adam, the Bible says God created man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living being. I've shared this before, but I want you to hear it because it's, it's so good. Because what made Adam, Adam? Well, it was, two, it was two components. There were two things here, dirt and breath. And Adam, the dirt, was not alive until he had the breath. But once he had the breath, the breath is what told the dirt who he was. The problem we have is without the Holy Spirit, without the breath of God, we have the dirt telling us who we are. And this is why the Holy Spirit comes because the Holy Spirit comes. I mean, it's a cool picture. In Genesis, you have God breathing into man. In John chapter 20, right after the resurrection, Jesus has his disciples and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Same picture. Why? Because not only are you going to need the Holy Spirit to do what you're called to do, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to be who you're created to be. He is the DNA of God. He knows, listen, the Holy Spirit knows who you're supposed to be. Look, before the beginning, the Bible says you existed before the beginning, not in flesh, but in the heart of God. The Bible says this, before you knew me, but before I was formed in the womb, you knew me. Before you formed me in the womb, Jeremiah, before you formed me in the womb, you knew me. Here's what I say. God knew you before you were formed in the womb. So God knew who you are. So you existed in God's heart and God had a blueprint in his heart with your name on it. You know, Sarah, and this is the blueprint and this is who you are and this is who he's gonna create you to be when it's your time. And then when it's your time, God builds you, forms you, fabricates you, knits you together in your mother's womb and then you're born. But the problem is you're dirt, but you don't have breath. You don't have the Holy Spirit because we're born in sin. Are you with me? Right? And so the problem is, if, you don't, if, we don't, if we don't get the breath of God, the dirt starts telling us who we are. But then we come, and, and then we receive Christ, and God whoo, puts breath in dirt. And, and you know what the Holy Spirit is? He's God. And you know what He knows? He has the blueprint that was in the heart of God. 
when he dreamed about you before he formed you in the womb and the Holy Spirit shows up like, like an extreme home makeover, like fixer upper and says, good news. You don't know who you are, but I know who you are. You don't know who you're supposed to be, but I know who you're supposed to. You don't know what you're created for, but I know what you're created for. You don't know what you're supposed to look like, but I know. And I have the blueprint that was in the heart of God when he dreamed you up. And now I have shown up to tell you who you are and help you become who God created you to be. And that's why we get our identity from him and not from culture and not from how we feel and not from what we think. No, we need the Holy Spirit to tell us who we are. Think about in the Bible, just the name change in the Bible. Like Jacob's running away and he thinks he's a trickster and a shyster and all these things, right? He thinks, and then God shows up and says, no, your name's not Jacob. It's Israel. Think about, about Peter. Your name's not Simon. It's actually Peter. Your name's not Saul. It's actually Paul. Like one of the things you see throughout scripture is God shows up, says your name's not Abram, it's Abraham. Like God shows up and says, let me tell you who you are. And he's still doing it today. If we'll listen, he's still doing it today. He, he guides, he identifies. And so here's the reality. If he guides and he identifies, if he leads, then what do we do? We follow. Like this, well, like he really makes it pretty simple for us. We don't have to know the way. We just have to follow the leader. We don't have to die in the cave in Mexico. <laughs> we just have to follow the guide. When we don't know the way, he knows the way. Like verse 16 or chapter 16 says he guides us into all truth. Romans 8 says he leads us in the adoption. Of he guides. He leads we follow. Now, here's the thing about following. Following, to follow, you don't have to know the way, but you do have to be intentional about following the leader. You don't passively follow, right? You don't accidentally follow. Following is something you do through intentionality and choice. In other words, you get up and say, oh, I'm going to follow the leader. Like, have you ever followed someone across town or followed someone in a line or whatever? And, and you get distracted, you look up and I'm like, well, I can't, where did they go? Right? Why? Because if I'm going to follow them, I have to stay focused on them and I have to be intentional about watching to see and discerning which way they're going so that I can follow the leader. And this is what I, this really, the heart that I feel today is I want to challenge really all of our church to say, hey, how actively are we following the Holy Spirit? Are we just hoping he'll be there when we need him? Or we're hoping we'll just luck into it? Because you can actually incline your heart every day to say, today, I'm going to be intentional. Today, I'm going to seek God. Today, I'm going to try to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit lead? Let me give you a few things from scripture. How does the Holy Spirit lead? Well, um, Number one, he leads through open doors. He leads through open doors. In fact, 1 Corinthians 16, 8, this is Paul. He's wanted to go to Macedonia, but he said, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. By the way, we talked about that last week, what Pentecost is. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a, for a wide door of effective work has been opened to me. And there are many Ephesus. This is what Paul said. He said, there's an open door. Now, when Paul said this, was he sitting in a house and all of a sudden the door opened? And he said, that's a wide door. I'm going to stay in Ephesus because that wide door just opened. Was he walking by a barn? 
No. Was he talking about a literal door? No. Okay. What's he talking about? It's figuratively speaking, what he's saying is God showed him a way. God gave him an opportunity would be another way to say it. And I want you to know this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is a lot of times when you're looking, all of a sudden you say, wow, here's an opportunity. Like here's a position or here's an opportunity. Sometimes even when we're sharing our faith with other people, a lot of times we say, well, I had a door open because they made a comment that then I was able to talk to them. Like for instance, we, we were standing around the water cooler, you know, whatever the case may be, wherever you stand around in offices, by the cubicles, wherever. And this person said, man, I'm going through this right now and it's so difficult. And you realize, oh, that's an open door for me to be able to say, you know what? I went through something very similar. And let me tell you how God worked in my life. It was an opportunity. And so sometimes the way that God works in our lives is through opportunities, through open doors, where, where all of a sudden it's like, wow, this has been opened, whether it's a position or a way to go or an opportunity, someone to talk to. It's all of a sudden there's an open door. And you're like, oh, this must be the leading of the Holy Spirit. He is making a way, right? When the Red Sea parts, you don't wonder which way to go. Make sense? Wouldn't that have been weird? Red Sea parts, you think we should go through? I'm not sure. Not sure what's going on here. So he opens doors. Here's the second thing, his voice. He leads with his voice. Verse 13 said, he will speak of his own authority. The Holy Spirit speaks. A lot of times when we're talking about hearing God, we're talking about hearing the the Holy Spirit. I think when it comes to hearing the Holy Spirit, I think this is where we get stuck because we kind of get stuck in this uh, because it uses hearing and we think of hearing as something we do with our ears, then we wait for our eardrums to vibrate. But that's usually not how God speaks at all. In fact, maybe one, well, there was one time in my life where I heard God and I would have thought it was audible, but I know it wasn't audible because no one else in the room heard. And I know because I asked them. Did y'all hear that? No, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) But when it comes to hearing God, you need to understand that God communicates spirit to spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. He communicates. God is spirit. He communicates spirit to spirit. And we have spiritual senses a lot of times like we have physical senses, meaning like just we we can sense something spiritually. Um, You know, we'll say, well, God touched me. You know, I felt God's presence. Well, what did you feel? We were talking really about something we felt and we knew more spiritually. And when it comes to hearing God, if you, if you relegate it to an audible voice vibrating your eardrum, you're probably never going to hear God, at least not very frequently. But when you understand God speaks spirit to spirit and that the Holy Spirit is here to, to tell me what God's saying, essentially, because this is what, whatever he hears from me, he will declare to you. It's what he says, that, that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to me. Then I understand, well, how does the Holy Spirit speak to me? Well, there's one of the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and it's been this way a long time, and I, I didn't, this before I ever preached this message, obviously, but I didn't know how to explain it. And someone said, how do you know? And I'm like, I know in my knower. Like sometimes when God's speaking, I don't know why, I just know. I just know what to do, or I know what to say, or I know what God's telling me to do. I just know. And I'll just say, I know in my knower. Now, some people are more feelers than knowers, so they feel in their filler. 
And they're like, I, I feel like this is what God's saying. I feel like this is God speaking to me. So we, we just need to understand that when God's speaking to us, sometimes it can be, it could be in a dream, but it could be a picture. It could, could be a word. It could, it could be a feeling or a knowing or a sensing. But that's many times how God is speaking to us. Now, I want to pause right here and say, when we're learning to follow God, sometimes people are like, well, what if I mess up? What if you don't? right? Don't get analysis paralysis, right? If you feel like God is leading, if you feel like God is speaking, just step on out there and see, right? Because a lot of times that is how we learn to hear is we feel like, oh, I feel like God was saying this to me. I don't forget, um, this, was a, this was a weird one. Not weird. Well, yeah, it was cool. That's probably a better word. But I don't forget, I was, I was praying one time and God told me something that was going to happen in our nation, I wrote down my journal. Now, why he told me, I don't know. I didn't tell anybody. I told two elders. I was like, hey, man, I felt like God said this was going to happen. This is like two or three years ago. A month later, it happened. Yeah, that's what I said. Wow. Now, I don't know what the purpose of that was because it wasn't like I was supposed to make a social media post. Nobody listened anyway. You know what I'm saying? But I just know like, wow, one thing it did is it taught me, oh, that's how God speaks. Like it helped me to understand. So now if I ever hear that again, I know that's God talking. Does that make sense? So sometimes God's, sometimes God's telling us stuff and sometimes God's teaching us stuff, but God actually will teach us to hear him if we'll apply ourselves to hearing him. But you can't get analysis paralysis when it's following the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you just got to say, well, I feel like, I think, I think God's speaking. I think this is an open door. I'm going to take a step and see what God does. And it's in that that we learn to follow, we learn to hear, and we learn to trust the Holy Spirit. He opens doors, he speaks. Here's the third one, promptings. This is like impressions. Uh, Acts 20, 22, Paul said this, um, he said he wanted, he was in Ephesus, but about to go to Jerusalem. He said, now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen. Here, here's what that compelled by the spirit, that phrase in the Greek is deho numa, deho numa. It means basically uh, prompted by breath. Prompted by breath. So we have God's breath in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. So what happens when the Holy Spirit prompts us? This is what Paul said. He's like, it wasn't an open door. I can't say that I heard God, but I am compelled. It really means pulled. Like if someone tied something around your waist like a rope and then started pulling you, this is what he's saying. I feel pulled. I feel compelled. I feel like something is pulling me to go to Jerusalem, even though I'm uncertain about what's going to happen. And the next verse says, there's probably going to be opposition. So even with uncertainty, and opposition, Paul said, I feel a prompting of something that is just drawing and pulling me to go in this direction. That's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives is through promptings. And, and you just feel like, oh man, I know God's wanting me. And listen, sometimes it's a prompting like Paul, like ministry or something grandiose or big. Sometimes it's a prompting to call someone. Like I remember one time I had a deho numa moment. Not too long ago because I had a, um, a day and I just felt like I need to text this person. And so I just thought, I don't know. I just need to. Text. So I texted first. Hey, how are you doing, man? Just on my heart today. Thought I would text you. It leads to, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's so great to hear from you. Conversation, tough time, had prayer. God, God was able 
in, in that moment to encourage that person. And all because it was, just, I felt compelled. I should just text them today. Like, I don't usually text this person. They're not even in this city. I'll just text them. It was a day. Of, so I'm just saying, sometimes it's big things. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, how many know the Holy Spirit, God's in the details, and the Holy Spirit can prompt you and lead you in even small things that will encourage other people or even help you. Right? So, so he, he, he opens doors, and he speaks, and he prompts. Now, when it comes to following the Holy Spirit, let me give you one more. You got time for one more? Because this is one of the questions I get. How, how do I know I'm being led by the Holy Spirit? How do I follow the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible gives us, if you will, if you think about following the Holy Spirit in, in a path, the Bible actually gives us two guardrails. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, so everybody say grieve. So there's one guardrail. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I think everybody understands grief. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Everybody say quench. So these aren't the same thing. Grieving and quenching are not the same thing. But these are two directives given by Paul to believers to help us to understand how to follow the prompting and the leading and the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because here's what he's saying. Over here, there is grief, right? So to grieve the Holy Spirit, that is something that's like uh, commission. That is something I do. Like if you're raised in a church where they had the sins of omission and the sins of commission. I didn't know who the mission family were. I just knew they sinned a lot. These are the jokes, people. They're not good, but it's just the best I can do, okay? So, 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 so grieving the Holy Spirit, we talked about what grieves. In fact, if you read Ephesians 4.30, it says, be angry and do not sin. So anger, wrath could grieve the Holy Spirit because we could sin, right? It could lead to sin. It talks about malice, talks about uh, corrupt talking. Like those, so sin grieves the Holy Spirit, right? So, so what happens here, I'm on this path following the Holy Spirit, and then I, I get led astray by a desire. I see a post. I decide to send a text. I decide to do something, and I'm sinning. And what happens is I step over this guardrail because I'm going my way now. It's not the way he was leading. This is my way. I want to do my way because I'm mad about something or I want to do something or I really just want something or I really desire something or whatever the case may be. And so what happens when we step over that guardrail, that's when the Holy Spirit says, whoa, 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 you're grieving me. You're disrupting our fellowship. We talked about this last week. You're, you're, you're hurting your relationship with God because, because you stepped over the guardrail. So the way we follow God is the Holy Spirit lets us know when we've grieved him because that means we've stepped over the line and that gives us the opportunity to step back in the path. Does that make sense? The other side, the other guardrail is quenching the Holy Spirit. That word means to cool rapidly or to extinguish. It's the same word when Paul is talking about the armor of God and he says, you know, taking the shield of faith by which you quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. So he's saying it puts the fire out. It quenches, right? So when, when Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, he said, don't quench the Holy Spirit. What he's actually talking about is is more the, the sin of the omission. It's more the omission things of where we feel prompted or led or he speaks and we decide not to, right? So over here is something we're doing that crosses out of the path of God. Over here is where we just refuse to follow. Does that make sense? And so we just say, you know, I, I know, you know, I know, God, I know you're leading me to join a serve team, but I just don't have time. I know you want me to go apologize, but you know what? Truthfully, I just don't want to apologize because they deserved it, you know, or whatever. It, it could be big, little, whatever, but it's, but it's this, or God, I know you want me to do X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever it is. 
God, you want me to do this? And you're choosing not to. And here's what he's saying. He's quenching the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about this. Cooling rapidly. Because one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is fire. And, and essentially, here's what you're doing. You're putting out the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the fire of the Holy Spirit does great things. I mean, it purifies, yeah, but it also empowers. It, it does some good things. And so here's, here's what the Holy Spirit, it, it, then we get, you put the fire out, well, you get complacent, you get cold, you get lethargic, you're not following the Holy Spirit anymore, you get stuck, right? So here are these two guardrails that Paul gives us when we're following the Holy Spirit is, hey, don't step out of the path by doing what you want to do. Don't step into sin. And also, if you feel the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is leading you, speaking to you, guiding you, make sure you're doing everything to follow. And that's where I come back to. Don't get paralysis. Here's what I've, I've heard people say, and they've asked me. They're like, I want to follow God, but I'm just scared I'm going to mess up. And, and I can understand that. You know, I, I understand that. But I want you to understand how gracious and good and loving God is. Because don't you think if you set your heart to follow him, this is what I've told people over and over again, if you will set your heart to follow God, even if you lose your way, he'll get you back on path. Because he's so good. It's like, when, you know, I have three kids. When they learn to walk, you know, I mean, you know, if you ever taught a kid to walk, they, you know, you know what that I means. You know, um, and, and they wobble, you know, and that's when you know they're about to fall on their bottom because they, they get the wobble. <laughs> Anyways, but you know, when all of mine, they'd wobble, you know, first of all, if you're a parent, you're kind of like, you know, and trying to catch them. But then when they fail, I didn't look at them and say, well, that's what you get. I knew you're going to fall. <laughs> you're only nine months old. I knew this wasn't going to work out for you. Like, get in the gym, do some squats. It's going to help you with this walking. No, it's not what you do. You follow around, you pick them up, you help them walk, you do whatever you can, just trying to help them walk. And this is the way God is. Like God's like, hey, if you'll set your heart to follow me, I'll help you. Grace abounds. Don't get paralysis analysis. Don't get stuck. Try to follow my promptings. Look for my open doors. Try to learn my voice. Take steps as you're able to take steps. Do what you feel I'm leading you to do because in that you're going to find not only God's will for your life, but you're going to find a maturity of understanding me and knowing me and being able to follow and discern what I'm doing, what I'm saying, and how I'm leading in your life. We have to understand you don't have to live a life lost in this culture. You can know the truth. You can know God's will for your life. You can know God's plan for your life. You can hear God's voice and you can follow him. And that's why Jesus said, it's better that I go away because if I go away, then I can send a guide who can be with everyone who will always guide them into all truth, who will lead them into my will, who will tell them who they really are. And all they have to do is set their heart to follow him and you'll never be lost. Amen. Come on, give Jesus. <laughs> Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. We end all of our time together with just prayer for anybody. So if you're new today, we have some wonderful people that serve and, and their job is just wonderful, safe people. Their job is just to pray for whatever you need prayer for. They're going to pray. And so today, if you're discouraged, you need prayer in any way whatsoever, um, don't leave. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. We'd love to do that. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads now and
And as we close, let's just take a moment. Just take a moment. And I'm going to pray for us as a church. And, And what I really want to pray is that we would just set our heart to follow God. Like just set our heart to follow the Holy Spirit, to hear his voice, to follow his promptings. And, you know, we can ask for help for this. And so I believe there's so many in our church, probably today you're like, yeah, I want to learn to follow God better. And I'm just saying you can, and he'll help you. And so I just want to pray for us. And so God, I pray today, Lord, for everyone in this room. God, for all of us, Lord, I know even for me, I want to follow you better. And God, you've given me the Holy Spirit so that I don't have to be lost. (laughs) Give me the Holy Spirit so I have a guide who guides me in truth and the will of God for my life and even my identity and who I am. And God, I'm so grateful. Lord, I pray for all of our church, God, that we would just make a commitment in our own hearts to try to follow you, to get up each day and just be intentional say, Holy Spirit, today, help me follow you. Lead me today and help me to follow. God, I pray right now if there's areas in our lives where, where we maybe need to repent, maybe, maybe we've crossed a, a guardrail in, into sin or, or maybe you've been prompting us and leading us and we just haven't been moving or hearing. God, whatever it is, I just pray you would show us those things so that we can follow you. God, maybe there are people today and they've just kind of been stuck because they just haven't been able to discern if, if, if what they feel or see or hear is actually you. God, I pray today, they just have courage to trust that you would confirm your word, make it very clear to them. But God, ultimately, we want to be a church that follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so God, that's really what I pray today. God, I pray today that if there are people in this room who don't have a relationship with you. Maybe they're, maybe they're just far away from you. The first place the Holy Spirit leads us is into relationship with you. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless they're drawn by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray if there are people watching online or there are people in this room who need a relationship with you, or maybe they're just away from you and they just need to come back to you. Lord, your word says, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And so, Lord, I just pray today that that if, if, if they're in this room, God, as you are drawing them, I pray they would come, they would move to you. And God, in a moment, they'd come to the front and let one of these wonderful prayer team couples pray for them and encourage them. And they'd make a new commitment to follow you. Or maybe if they've never given their heart or life to you, maybe they would today. God, ultimately, we just want to follow you. So Holy Spirit, you're the leader. We're going to follow you. God, thank you so much for sending the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for sending him to lead us and guide us so we could never be lost. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise one more time? What would it hurt? Just one more. Listen, I love you so much. If you need prayer, relationship with God, however we could serve you, we'd love to pray for you. Everybody else say a big God bless you. We love you. We will see you next weekend.